Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Emotional intelligence has been talked about for a few decades now. It is much more than IQ and more important to succeed and feel connected, fulfilled and thriving in business or our personal pursuits. Emotional intelligence, otherwise known as emotional quotient or EQ, is defined as the ability to understand, use and manage your own emotions in positive ways to relieve stress, communicate effectively, empathize with others, overcome challenges and diffuse conflict. My guest today, Nick Hughes, is co-founder of Inspire Tribe. Nick is a born leader and entrepreneur and is in demand as Australia's leading expert on scalable emotional intelligence frameworks, and we're going to go into that a little bit later. Her hypological approach to emotional intelligence has led to groundbreaking insights and delightfully practical applications. She has created world-leading EQ training programs that show leaders and their teams how to synergistically combine IQ and EQ in order to take themselves to extreme heights in both their business and personal lives. Her business-inspired tribe provides strategic and insightful mentoring coaching and training that uncovers the unconscious limiting patterns of individuals who are seeking to be successful, which most of us, of course, would love to be. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. Thanks, Amber. It's wonderful to be here. So let's go back uh, a number of years. Do you remember your first paid job and where that might have led you career-wise? Was there any common themes? Uh, Well, it's interesting. My first paid job was with my parents. They ran a small business uh, and I worked for their for them for a good part of a decade, so from about 14 years old, and I swore I'd never have a small business <laughs> after working there. So my first real paid job was with a big printing company, so a corporate, because I, the grass is always greener. Of course and, it uh, is. <laughs> I spent four years in corporate and just realised that uh, my hard work I couldn't connect that to the end goal, so I ended up flipping out into small business. And <laughs> I was in small business with my sister for 14 years before starting Inspire Tribe. Oh, excellent. So there you go. Yeah. You, you kind of landed where you probably were always meant to be, but sometimes you have to have those other experiences to know uh, what you're good at and what you love. Correct, and it's taken me three decades to get back to talking to corporate, so it's a funny roundabout way to get to things. Excellent. So tell us in your experience and views, what is EQ really about and why does it even matter? Well, simplistically, I think EQ is about feeling good within yourself, number one, in a way that feels good to others, number two. So it's a really simple concept. We use uh, circles to help people to start to see themselves like there's 7.8 billion circles on the planet. Every circle represents a human. So it's about your circle being green and happy and being aware when you're red and not happy because um, emotional intelligence is about understanding when we're red. Otherwise, that unhappiness spreads a bit like a virus. We we share it with others without realising. So it's all about becoming self-aware and then learning how to manage ourselves in a way that feels good to us and feels good to others too. 
Absolutely. So what's interesting that the way you've described it is it's not just about how you feel. It sounds like it's about the connection and how you make the other people that you're dealing with feel, whether that be personal or professionally. Is that correct? Definitely. And that's because when I was in corporate, I read uh, Daniel Goleman's book at the time, Emotional Intelligence. And I went, oh, I'm emotionally intelligent because I had very good self-management skills. But decades later, I was to realise I'm on the autism spectrum. So my self-awareness was actually really low. So I was so hypersensitive as a kid, I just learned to manage and shut my emotions down, which decreased my self-awareness. So I realised at about the age of 40 that my self-awareness was so low that my emotional intelligence was actually really low uh, and I was one of the people who had low emotional intelligence and thought it was high. So I was like the worst kind. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Considering what you do for a living too, that, that's a long journey to get to that realisation. Uh, it is, and that's been the, the obsession of the last decade. How did I end up at that spot? I'm, I am a smart person. I've got high IQ. So how did my high IQ allow me to be so self-unaware for so long? And that's been the journey of our work and I guess why I'm so passionate about it. Of course. So what is the biggest error people make when it comes to harnessing that emotional intelligence and what can we do to help overcome this? Great. Well, so there are two. So a lot of our work has a black aspect and a white aspect to it. So there's often opposites. So there's two and one is the the error that I made. So thinking, so an individual thinking that they're self-aware when really actually what they're good at is self-control. So Someone who's good at self-control and is highly logical will often dismiss their own feelings and not worry about their own feelings and therefore they can't worry about other people's feelings because they don't actually know how to look after their own feelings. So we can't do for someone else what we can't do for ourselves first. So that's the number one error. And number two error is a very self-aware person, so very connected to their feelings, who says, oh, I'm not good with logic. So good logic in terms of self-management and emotional intelligence, uh, is actually really simple and really easy. But people stay in that track of, I'm not good at it, rather than I only need to learn the basics of good logic for emotional intelligence, and then my logic is actually very good. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so I guess for a lot of us, we may not even, like your own experience, be aware that this is an issue for us. We might think we're a certain type of person, like you say, I'm very smart and I can control my emotions Therefore, you know, maybe my emotional intelligence is not so important, but it sounds like that might be the wrong thinking as well. We need to actually harness it in a way, perhaps, and access it, even if we think it's not going to be of use to us. Correct. So that's where the frameworks that we use, they're so powerful because they're visual. So a lot of emotional intelligence is taught uh, using feeling-based words and trying to get people's vocabulary up around feelings Uh, But for someone such as myself, at the age of 40, I didn't actually even use the word feel. So I would write about my life and the word feel would not be there at all. So there's about 3,000 words in the English dictionary describing feelings and states and, you know, ways we can show up in the world. Uh, So it's a whole new language to learn if you haven't learnt it already. So we keep it really simple. So if I'm a circle and you're a circle, at any point in time we're either green and more happy uh, and light and relaxed or we're more red and frustrated, angry, or hurt. Hurt is the word that we use for that redness. Mm. And every single day, every single one of us gets triggered to red in a minor or a major way. So a lot of people don't realise that. So if you just notice your own circle and the colour of it, and you can watch other people, you can start to see patterns. So it's quite cool. And what we find is it doesn't matter if someone knows nothing about emotional intelligence or a whole lot. When we simplify it down to what colour are you now, or more importantly, when have you been triggered red, people start to realise 
some people realize I'm red all the time. I feel red pretty much all day, every day. And other people go, well, I feel really green at work because, do you know, I'm respected, etc. And then I come home and then I flick to a red circle when I have to talk to the kids and they talk badly to me or, do you know, I have a challenging relationship with my partner. So that just that basic level of self-awareness can be a game changer for many. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit more about this scalable emotional intelligence framework you devised. How does it work in, in a kind of a nutshell and how do you deliver it? Is it about sort of the one-to-many experience or is it one-to-one? How do you find that people have the best results with this particular framework? Well, it's interesting and that's evolved over time. So we started off one-to-one and we still do one-to-one. I've done that for a decade now, but uh, my obsession was to help people to understand the logic of emotional intelligence. And of course, we had to work that out ourselves first. So we te- teach very simplistic uh, emotional intelligence logic. And we do that using two symbols, circles and a square. Circle represents humans. Squares represent anything and everything else. And squares are red and green. So something you don't like to do is red. Something you like to do is green. So it's really simple. But then we teach people how to combine those basic symbols and start to see patterns in their life. And because it's so simplistic, uh, what happens is people start to talk in the language quite quickly and they educate other people because everyone's using the same simplistic language. So it's sort of culturally agnostic and age agnostic. So you can start to get elderly people starting to educate younger people in a way that they connect to the code and the details they don't necessarily connect to, but uh, they get the underlying principle. So it's the framework works as the back part of the brain, the the mid and hind part of the brain, and that's non-verbal. So I'm not sure if you've ever had the situation where you have uh, know that you shouldn't say something and you don't want to say something, but it comes out of your mouth anyway. Oh, particularly um, since, um, since I'm in middle age, I definitely find that harder to hold back. I don't know why that is, but uh, yes, that's definitely the case. Well, we call that, and we all have that, I call it the nail in the backpack. So every time (laughs) someone says something that's annoying to you, if you're an emotionally intelligent person, what we often do is we just control ourselves and we put the nail in the backpack. It's a slightly bad feeling, but one nail is not an issue, 10 nails is not an issue, but a thousand nails, they start to jangle around. And then sometimes people give you one extra nail and it's one too many and the backpack splits. So you overreact to the event at the time with that one extra nail. And then that doesn't get sorted because you've overreacted. So you have to pick up all the nails, put them in the backpack and go again. So once people, as I say, it's, it's that emotional reaction. So the symbols can help us to see when, when we're going red and that works with our unconscious. So our unconscious will warn us more quickly because of the symbolic nature. And once we know that, what's the power in that for people? The power of that is self-awareness and with self-awareness, people naturally want to shift their own behaviour. So the social and emotional game that we all play is actually like playing a game of tennis with no lines on the ground. And what that means is uh, you hit a ball over and you think you've hit it in the court and I hit it back thinking it's in the court too and then I think I've hit the ball back and it's in the court but you think it's outside the court. Like it was offensive and I might think, well, no, that was okay. So There's no line. So who's right and who's wrong? And people can stay. We naturally want to see ourselves as a good person and we want to see our reactions as right actions. So we naturally want to defend ourselves and stay about the same. But the symbols are like putting lines on the tennis court. And even if no one else is playing, we can start to see when we're hitting the ball in and when we're hitting the ball out because we can actually see the play that we're making. 
Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah, no, that's really good. I think that's a really great analogy. So is IQ and EQ equally important to succeed? I think I know what you're going to say to that, but maybe explain with an example of two about how that comes to life and, and when it's all working well, why you need both. Great, because it is black and white. You do need both. Um, you can't explain black uh, without white and vice versa or some other colour. Um, so definitely both. Uh, it starts off with logic and that's what I learnt through coaching. So the coaching journey, most coaches ask people questions, but if you're not, and then you have to unravel your own logic. But if you give people some basic logic to work with, that's actually far faster. Uh, And then the emotional intelligence aspect is using that logic to become more self-aware and then being open to reviewing and working out how you could have caught that. So when we overreact, there's always warning signs. But most of us are so busy controlling ourselves that we don't look for the warning signs. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, so that makes sense. That's the logic helps us to understand that we're all going to make mistakes and that's okay. And how do we handle those mistakes? And the emotional intelligence is how do we get more self aware? And then there's a resilience aspect, emotional resilience, and that's combining the two to actually just get stronger and stronger as we go and not stronger in a I'm going to smash things kind of way, but we call it softly strong. So soft on the outside, but strong on the inside. Yeah, that's great. That's a great picture that you've painted for us. Conflict is a part of life and workplaces especially. How does having the emotional intelligence mindset help overcome conflicts more easily and I guess create more harmony in a workplace? Yeah, I think the interesting thing about conflict since using the code is I'm, as I say, I'm a highly logical individual and uh, when it comes to people naturally speaking with someone like me before I learned about emotional intelligence, uh, I was always open to changing my mind. But it was just ridiculously hard work to change my mind because I'm smart and therefore I could logically justify my opinion infinitely and People believe the world's flat and they can logically justify that. So that's an example. But with the code, uh, conflict becomes a chance for people to become kinder, uh, more curious, more open to new ideas, and it helps them to connect more deeply with their colleague because conflict says you've seen the world one way and I've seen the world another way and here's an opportunity for us to both learn and grow. So it actually becomes a chance for deeper connection. So, you know, the word conflict has very positive connotations for me these days, and I know it doesn't for a lot of people, but that's part of the journey is to get people initially not fearful of conflict but then excited about the growth that happens every time we have a different opinion. Absolutely. And that's perhaps a maturity thing. I'm just going to throw that out there. You know, you may not feel that way when you're a teen or in your 20s, or it's maybe your first workplace where there's lots of diversity and challenges and not everyone's the same age and stage of life as you. But perhaps as you have more life experiences, that conflict, like you say, doesn't have to be so negative. Correct. Although, again, we can teach the kids the code. And it's interesting, kids can teach adults a whole lot. Kids are naturally quite kind and want to be looked after and I think they're not so battle-scarred as adults. So it's very interesting to watch children learn about emotional intelligence because, as I say, they've got the energy and they've got the enthusiasm so they they probably more naturally ride the growth wave where if we find adults, they come in a little bit more sceptical, a little bit more, you know, I've done a lot of stuff before and how is this going to be different? So... 
I love watching that change because, as I say, adults, we have seen a lot and we have been disappointed a lot. So it's finding something that really works that inspires people to to shift their thinking around that rather than just age, if that makes sense. Because I think with age... Yeah, we- absolutely. No, and I think that's that's a great lesson for all of us that we can learn something from everyone no matter what they've experienced and how old they are. And like you say, as you get older, you probably perhaps have more set patterns in some of your thinking as well. Yes, we do. And we all, you know, we find a lot of parents say, I've become like my parents, but it happens whether we've got children or not and whether we've got partners or not. The older we get... Uh, So as children, we're unconsciously programmed by our parents. So between the ages zero to seven, a lot of our core thought patterns are given to us by our parents. Now, between the ages of seven and 14 and 14 to 21, we might logically override that and mask that underlying sort of programming that our parents have given us. And we might think that we're nothing like our parents, but A, to be nothing like our parents is to be a mirror of them in the opposite direction. So that's a whole lot like our parents, just in a different area of dis. Exactly. (laughs) The extremity of that is also problematic, I guess. Correct. And then under pressure, those old conditioned patterns at the back part of our brain, they get triggered. So that's why we often react in a way that we don't, you know, it doesn't make sense to us because the older we get, the more pressure can come on us with, with work and you know, social obligations and potentially children and partners and all those things too. So the more pressure we have, the more the, the back part of the brain gets triggered and the more we start to behave like our parents without really realising it until our partner says, you're just like... <laughs> <laughs> or your child, Correct. in my case. I have, a, I have a teenager now who's very good at pointing out how similar I am to the things that I say I don't like about my childhood or the way I've, you know, maybe expressed something or, you know, easy to anger and things like that as well. Um, That's another thing. So for those who have children, just look at your children, their patterns and guaranteed we've, you know, they were born a perfect little human. And yes, they would have had some similar traits no matter where they grew up. But the vast majority of the way they show up and how they talk to us is dependent on our patterns. So they, they interact with us to get the attention that they need. And they will do whatever they need to 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 get through our patterns in order to get the attention they want and need. So it's just so interesting and it's so cool. You, you've all been warned out there. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> it's, complex. It's genetics and behaviour. Well, it's but, that whole, you know, is it nature versus nurture and it's always a bit of both, I imagine, um, which forms correct. us. Correct. Uh, science has shown that, but there's a whole lot of nurture and I love the, the nurture aspect uh, and and just seeing the patterns of it. And I used to think that all humans were uh, very different, but now I realise we're all far more similar and that's there's an excitement to that as well. Even though I'm still coming to terms with that on some level, there's also an excitement. Yeah, of course. So who's your own EQ superhero and why? Um, my EQ superhero is my wife. Um, there's two. There's my wife and I say that because I met her when I was 40, so... Uh, I was at, in one area, the prime of my life. And when I met her, I realised I realized how many gaps I had. So not that she's been the perfect role model. It's, it's almost like we've, they say you can work through your, your childhood issues with your, your partner. I think we've taken that to an extreme and I've created a code in order to, for our wife and I to function when you have that um, opposites attract and that intense connection. So it was love at first sight when I saw my wife, even even that, that can actually flip. So people who have great love can have great hurt. 
So yes, it's uh, extreme, isn't it? An enormous <laughs> amount about that aspect and coming from my very logical start, I've softened enormously over the past decade. Uh, and my ex-husband is also very happy to hear that. I think he likes me more these days too, even though he liked me when we finished. <laughs> and Matt Church, uh, he's another uh, thought leader. Yes, uh, I know Matt very well. Us. Uh, and his direct feedback you know, was just instrumental in me seeing different aspects of myself. And then Dermot Crowley, who you've also had on your podcast. Yes, Dermot's amazing. He's so, I love the way he thinks. And I think he offers from very practical aspects, which a lot of people in his space probably do too. But yeah, I really found him a fantastic guest to have. And a lot of, it's probably one of the most downloaded episodes as well of the politics of everything. Oh, and he's so softly strong. Like he's a, he's the epitome of that. He's just a a wonderful, wonderful man. So so the yeah. next question may or may not be redundant, but you've talked about your EQ superheroes. What about mentors? Are there people that have taught you about life and maybe things away from the business that you would like to have a shout out to? And do you remember it could be anyone from, you know, a, a school teacher through to perhaps sometimes it's people's parents, sometimes it's a sibling. It could be anyone really. Well, I'm probably going to accidentally dismiss a whole lot of people who've been, you know, everyone in my life is a mentor. Uh, there's... The concept of business is a mirror. So when you hop, when you start your own business, you know all your flaws are obvious. And I think everyone is a mentor in that regard. But for me, the mentors and the superheroes—they—they literally are, I guess, superheroes. So they're people that I've watched from afar. So I started off with uh, Tony Robbins in the mid 1990s. He sort of helped me to understand that hey, there's this thing called personal development. So I knew nothing about that in my early 20s. And then just watching people like Oprah and Barrick you know, individuals who have used their words to influence, you know, a nation of people. Like I just think that's stunning. Just the impact, I guess, is is big, isn't it? And it's that one to many on steroids, really. Correct, and they've really connected, you know, really connected with the people, uh, so much so that the people have elected them, you know, in this very informal fashion. So I love that. And then there's the Dalai Lama and Eckhart at the other extreme, which – I've always said I wouldn't want to be a monk, but I love what the monks have taught us all and I love uh, Eckhart's logical version of that, so he's sparked my thinking very significantly. So so not direct mentors, but mentors from afar. So super, that's why I say they're superheroes. equally relevant, yeah. I think, in, in the world that we live in. If we spoke again in a year, what would be the number one thing you would hope would have changed in your business or career and why? Uh, I'm always looking forward and going, how can we get more people to help more people? So my obsession in this business has been, I don't, I don't want to be the guru. I don't want to be a coach who's a great coach and you have to see me. Uh, so it's like, how, what am I doing? What are my patterns? How do I shift people quickly? And how can I teach other people to do that? So the next year is all about people, A, learning the nine weeks basics of the on-ramp so they know the code, but then growth in growth pods, using the code to give each other this psychologically safe communication that helps them to learn and grow together. So small growth pods, five people, and they also support each other and the code helps them to do that in a very structured way, but only the basics, and then they can just propel each other from there. So I'm excited about that concept. Sounds like a fantastic idea. What would be your final takeaway message for us today on the politics of EQ? EQ is absolutely critical for the world moving forward. If we look at 
the issues that are happening overseas, and I'm you'd be more aware than um, me in many regards, I think, Amber. But, you know, the people arguing that black is true and people arguing that white is true, but not nearly enough people getting curious about why someone is so connected to black and not nearly enough people getting so curious enough to understand why others are so connected to white. So that emotional intelligence of, you know, being able to let go of your viewpoint, not forever, just long enough to really deeply understand another another's viewpoint. Uh, that's that's the, that's the key aspect for the world moving forward. And does it need to be everyone? No, but it certainly needs to be people in power, being open to that, that concept and understanding the machinations of that. And, that, you know, for decades, it's stunned me how hard emotional intelligence is, so, like, has been. Just, and I'm not sure about from your end, what do you see out there? Is that yeah, absolutely. I, I do, and I think you know you'll never you'll never be out of a job really because um, there's always more to do. I think, and and like you say, the work starts, and then it's it's up to all of us to continue in some way keeping ourselves accountable. Well, I think I love what you said there because I think the work does start, but if you do good work, it gets more and more addictive. And someone said to me that actually a, a peer, Dean Smith who's a psychologist, said to me that enlightenment is actually seen by many as to be the journey of insight. So every time we grow, we get that insight of, oh, now I know something new and I feel freer for it. Like that's the process of enlightenment rather than an end goal. So yeah, it, it just becomes thoughts. more and more addictive. It's like a, a really good positive drug <laughs> Doesn't, yeah. doesn't mess so with your brain everyone, and body. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So everyone get your, your emotional intelligence or your EQ on. If you want to connect further with Nick Hughes, there will be some details on our show notes. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I feel like there's so much in there and there's obviously a lot of work that all of us can do to become more emotionally intelligent. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Amber, for great questions. And it's been wonderful. And thank you to the audience for listening. And no matter who you learn from, uh, keep learning and growing. Until next time, keep well. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.